And all right, thank you for that song. Let's take our Bibles this morning and jump right into it. First Peter is where we'll be, all right? First Peter chapter 2, and we want to read verses 18 through 25 here in just a moment. But as we come back to this great book of the Bible, we need to keep in mind the whole purpose of Peter's writing. By now, I know you know it, surely. By now, you know the whole reason behind it. But uh, if you don't, just keep in mind, Peter is writing for the purpose of this, strengthening the brethren. Uh, just as Jesus told him to do one day when Jesus said to him face to face, he said, when thou art converted, meaning, Peter, when you come back to God, when you get your heart right with God again, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so that's what he's doing. He is writing to, strengthening, to strengthen the brethren at this moment. But the question is, why do the believers in this first century at this time need strengthened? It's because they're going through some great, terrible times of life. Some terrible times in the church history. Uh, persecution is on the rise. Many are being hauled off to prison, being tortured. Uh, they're being put to death. They're suffering great loss. Persecution is on the rise. And if you're living through that kind of tormenting time, you too, we too, would need great strength. But the strength they needed was not going to be found from a political figure. It's not going to be found through increased in finances. It's not going to be found through a military might or none of those things that, that human beings can try to help with. Rather, the strength they needed was going to be found from God. As Peter sits down to write and uh, to record the Word of God and give them great hope, that's where their strength is going to be found. As Peter gives them hope, gives them hope just through the pain, just through the fiery trials to try them, just really, just for the very next day. That's where they're going to get their strength. But the hope that we've spoken of and are going to continue to speak of is not a hope as in, um, let's cross our fingers and cast a quarter in the wishing well and really hope this thing works out type of hope. Because that's not real hope, you see. But rather, the hope that we're speaking of is this. It is a confident assurance that is based upon the promises and person of God Himself. And that is real hope. And these first century believers, they needed it. And guess what? We as believers in the 21st century need it as well. But it's going to be found from the same place that these believers found that again is going to be found in the Word of God. So you need some strength today? You're going to find it from the Bible. You need some hope today? You're going to find it from the Word of God. Listen, your Bible is never outdated. It is relevant for every season and situation of life, and you can fully trust your Bible. So you need some strength? Let's dive into the Word and see what Peter has for us, this, uh, for us this morning. See what he has to say as we come to 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verses 18 through 25. And as we do, it seems that Peter again is continuing the emphasis on submission. And he'll continue this even through the next chapter as well. But here in this text we're going to read, as Peter speaks of submission, he's going to be speaking of being submissive as a servant. So that's the title of the message this morning is Submission as a Servant. Let's look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and starting in verse number 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. 
For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Our fathers, we look to your word this morning. I pray that you'd help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. To have hearts ready to receive, ears ready to hear. Lord, help us to have feet swift to obey your word this morning. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at this, submission as a servant. And when you hear this word, submission, we read of this word being subject or be, being submissive. Many times it can give us heartburn. Uh, many times people can get a little anxious when they see and read of being submissive. And you can say amen or oh me, but you know it's true, all right? Uh, because we, we become that way because, listen, no one likes to hear this word. No one likes to hear about being submissive. No one wants to hear to submit to anything. Why? We want to be our own person. I want to be my own man. I want to be my own woman, you know. I want to be my own person. Because, listen, submission, when we hear that, it goes against the very fiber of our fallen nature. That's why we don't like to hear it. And even Peter himself, he knows from his own experiences with Jesus, walking with Jesus himself, that this struggle of being submissive is a real thing. You can look at his experiences. You can look at when he was with, uh, uh, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus transfigured himself, showed his glory unto that inner circle, the inner three, Peter, James, and John. But it wasn't just Jesus on that mountaintop that day, nor just the inner circle. There were two that appeared with Jesus. Do you remember their names? One starts with an M, ends with an Moses. Moses, good job. The other one starts with an E, ends with Elijah. Elijah, that's right. Uh, those two individuals showed up on the Mount Transfiguration that day, and Peter, he got excited about it. And by the way, you and I would have gotten excited about it too, okay? Uh, so don't be too pious and, and be too hard on Peter in that moment. But he got excited and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, of course, Jesus, but also for Moses and for Elijah. What Peter was doing in that moment, he was giving reverence and worship to other individuals who did not deserve it. You see, Jesus is the only one that deserves true worship. But he was out of place. But he was speaking out of turn. Why? Well, he wasn't being submissive. You can also see when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Remember what Peter said there in John 13, verses 8 through 9? He says this, Thou shalt never wash my feet. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Watch every bit of me then, because I want to be wholly in with you. You can also see when Jesus told of his death to his disciples one day, when Jesus really bore his heart to his men, when he spoke of the redemptive plan of God, he said he was going to die for them, be buried and rise again in the third day. But what did Peter do? Peter actually, the Bible says this for us, actually rebuked Jesus. 
That word rebuke, it means to reprove sharply. The Bible says in Mark 8, 32, And Peter took him, began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou, thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Listen to what Peter was doing in that moment. He's looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, this ain't going to happen. can't happen. Lord, you're, you're wrong. And in case you're wondering, that's never a good thing to say to Jesus, okay? You don't look at the Lord of lords and king of kings and say, nope, you're wrong. No, that's not how it works. But Peter did. You could also see in Peter's life when they had that precious time at the Last Supper when Jesus again told of his death and told how his body's going to be given to be broken for them, how he's going to shed his blood for the forgiveness, for the remission of sins and again rise from the grave the third day. And after he had this precious moment with them, they went out and just before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and sang together a worshipful song, sang a hymn together. But he, he let it be known to them that this night, because of all of this, because of this night, as they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told them all they would all be offended. But what did Peter say? In Matthew 26 and verse 33 through 34, Peter answered and said to them, Though all men, all these disciples, all these scoundrels, Lord, <laughs> though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Of course, Jesus told him that before the cock would crow three times, he was going to deny him, and we know he did. But in that moment, why would Peter do these things? Why would he say, not so, Lord? Why would he rebuke Jesus? Why would he say these statements every time? Why, why, why would he do this? You see, every failure that Peter had could be pointed back to this, this moment. A failure to submit. A failure to submit to the Lord, to submit to His will, and Submit to his, to his word. And if you or I are honest with ourselves this morning, we would too look back over the failures and mistakes of our lives. We would have to agree that those mistakes and failures, many if not all of them have come because we have failed to submit to God. Submit to his will. Submit to his word. And the only thing that will cause for us in our lack of submission to God this little word of pride. And pride will cause us to do very foolish and hurtful things. Proverbs 11, 2, When pride goeth, then cometh shame. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low. We could look at many other verses that point to that proof that pride truly is a killer. But don't let it. It doesn't have to be. We can defend against it. We, we can and do have an answer for that pride. And what is it? Well, James makes it known. In James 4, 6 through 7, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. And here's what he says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So you need some strength this morning. You need some grace this morning. Submit to God. You need help this morning? Submit to God. You're trying to figure it out all, all on your own? Stop it. That's pride. Rather submit to God. And submission for the child of God is not a bad thing. It's the right thing. It should be the main thing we're concerned about. Submitting ourselves to the Lord. And Peter knows this. Of course, God knows this. And that's why in this moment, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing submission. 
even through this difficult and dark days these dear believers are facing. They'll find their strength if they would simply submit themselves as servants to God. So let's look at that. Submission as a servant. The first thing I'd like for us to see from this, from this text is this. Number one, the explanation of being a servant. All right? Now, church, look at verse number 18 with me. And I want you, I'm going to count to three, but I want you to tell me the first word of verse number 18. All right? Everybody got your Bible open? You're looking at it? You ready? All right, here we go. One, two, three. All right. About 75% of you got your Bibles this morning. That's good. Okay. Servants. Servants. He said servants here. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, what is Peter talking about here? Who are the servants? Who is he referring to here? Well, understand in our Bible, there are two main Greek words that are translated servant. Uh, the first one is doulos. This is one that's, that's a more of a general term for servant. You can see that many times in the Word of God. But it's for the slave or the general, uh, general overview of, of a slave. But, that, but here, that's not the exact wording that is used. Rather, this word is this. It's oikites, all right? And is that how you pronounce it, Pastor? I have no idea. It's what it looks like for me in my Appalachian English, okay? But, uh, but it's a different word. I do know that. But this word is not just referring to just a general servant or general slave. Rather, it's more specific. It's a more specific servant. It'd be one as a servant who lives in the same house as his master or lives in the same house as another. This will be considered a household servant, if you will. And you can find that example in Acts chapter 10, verse number 7. When the Bible says, when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, same word, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. That's Cornelius again, sending those household servants to go get Peter at Joppa. Uh, but that's the same word. So this servant here is a servant who would serve their owners, their masters in their home. But why is Peter at this moment writing to them specifically? Well, again, understand this time in history, we've made mention of this, I'll quickly go over it again, but this time in history, in the first century, there were some 60 million slaves just in the Roman Empire alone. But many of these servants, many of these slaves have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior through the preaching of Paul, through the pe uh, preaching, of course, even of Peter, the other apostles and other disciples, other believers who are giving the gospel. And many of these slaves have turned to Jesus during this time. And we know one of them by name. Do you remember his name? It starts with an O and ends with a Nesimus. Onesimus, that's right. Very good. Uh, he is a, 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 a servant, a slave that we know of in Scripture by name. You see, Onesimus one day escaped from his master, but found himself in the same jail cell with none other than, drumroll please, the Apostle Paul. And it was there that Paul no doubt shared the gospel with him. Onesimus got saved, found out who his owner was, who his master was, and Paul knew, knew the man as well. And so he wrote him a letter uh, back to his owner, sent it with Onesimus as Onesimus went back to his master. But when uh, he took it back, uh, Paul wrote to this individual and said this, uh, don't, rece <clears throat> don't receive Onesimus as a servant only, but receive him as a brother. But you remember who the master was, who the slave owner was? Starts with a P, ends with a Philemon. Philemon. And it, that's the letter that's in our Bible, the book of our Bible, Philemon. He was a master who owned slaves, who owned servants, and one of them was Onesimus. 
But this was the norm of the day, all right? Uh, people would even sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt that they couldn't pay uh, financially. They'd work it off. This, this is the norm of the day. So there were over 60 million slaves during this time, but many of them turned to the Lord. But when you throw into the mix a slave in, in the house, household slave, but also as a believer, but they're facing persecutions, they're facing accusations. Remember, that at this time, they were accusing the Jews of all the things that were taking place and called them evildoers, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, meaning they're just common criminals. That's what they accused them of. But when you put all of this into the pot and mix it all up with the, with the uh, accusations, persecutions, and now their servants as well, no doubt the temptation for these Christian believers who happen to be servants and slaves, the temptation to be like Onesimus and run would have been a great temptation and have been a viable option, no doubt, for these individuals. But what did Peter say? Look at verse 18 again. Servants, be subject to your own master. He is saying, listen, as a servant, as a servant who is a Christian, you must be submissive. Now, when we, we, we read this, and maybe no doubt this time there might have been even some believers who, who have thought, okay, okay. Okay, fine. I, I understand what you're saying, uh, Brother Peter, but be submissive to who? Uh, which master? I, I'm only going to be kind and submissive to the master who treats me good, right? Who shows me respect. Because as soon as he doesn't show me respect, well, we're going to throw hands and see who wins, right? And maybe, maybe they thought, fine, fine, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be kind to the ones that are kind to me. But that's not what Peter said. So number one, see the explanation of a servant. Number two, see this, the extent of being a servant. And meaning, as a servant, who am I to be submissive to? Well, Peter makes it plain. Verse number 18 again, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Uh, no doubt Peter knew the reasoning of man when it comes to submission because, again, he too struggled with this very thing from time to time of submission. And that's why he said through, again, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to submit to your master, but not just submit to the good and the gentle, meaning to be subject to someone who is good, upright, pleasant, joyful, not just to someone who is gentle, meaning he's mild-tempered and, and patient. And we know that being subject to those type of individuals, those leaders, those bosses, if you will, are a lot easier to be submissive to. When, when we know they're going to treat me with respect, they know they're going to treat me with kindness, they know, we know they're going to be mild-tempered towards me. It's a lot easier to be subject to that individual. Easier to fear, as Peter said, or respect someone who respects you back but that's not the only extent of submission again verse 18 he says this but also to the what's the next word froward now what does this mean well again the greek word here is scolios it's where we get our word scoliosis and scoliosis if you don't know is a condition in which a person's spine has a sideways curve so what is peter saying here what's he getting at when he says be subject to the froward well, he is saying this, he knows. He knows some of the leaders, some of those masters, he knows that they are froward, that they are scolios. He knows that they are crooked as a dog's hind leg. <laughs> he knows they're perverse and wicked. 
and unfair. He knows it. But as a dear Christian servant, as someone who's a child of God, as someone who knows Jesus as their Savior, as someone who has passed from darkness to light and from, has, has passed from death unto life, he knows there's more at stake than just being a servant. And so he says, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Now again, as you read this command, and when you understand the atmosphere is going on with the persecutions, one again may think, Peter, I know you're an older man by now as you're writing First and Second Peter, but in your old age, have you become absolutely senile? <laughs> Wanting me to be subject to someone who is froward? Give me a break, man. Are you off your rocker? What's wrong with you? Well, I think in his older age, he cannot be more clear-minded than he was even when he's walking with Jesus, step in step. You see, at this moment, Peter was, was looking at, as, as even a servant himself, really, he was looking at this as a servant, number three. He was looking at eternity as a servant. Look again at verse number 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God in your grief suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If you have a habit of marking your Bible, highlight, circle, underline, whatever it may be, I want you to mark a couple of phrases. In verse 19, mark this phrase, conscience toward God. And then in verse number 20, notice this phrase, underline it, acceptable with God. You see, at this very moment, Peter is trying his very best to get the focus of these dear Christian servants, to get it from this earth onto eternity, to get it from the circumstances that they are under and are facing onto Christ. He is trying to get their focus from a bad earthly master to their good heavenly father. He is trying to get them to focus from what they're going through and where really they're going to. He's trying to get them to get their eyes off of the suffering and onto the Savior. And in doing this, I believe he's trying to give them a why to submission as a servant. We ask that question a lot, don't we? Question of, of why. If you have kids, you have heard that question a lot. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's time for bed. Why? It's 10 o'clock. Your crank is all get out. I'm about to kill you. That's why. <laughs> it's time for supper. Why? <laughs> because five minutes ago you told me you were starving and about to die. That's why. Come eat. It's time to get up and go to school. Why? Because I don't want you to be Ill illiterate and foolish. Get ready and get in the car. We got to go. <laughs> anyway. Always asking why. We, we, we ask those questions too as, as adults. But they come in form of, of questions like this. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why I'm facing this. I don't know what I have done to deserve this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever ask that question? <laughs> Me too. And no doubt these believers wondered why 
Peter is writing to them to be subject to their own masters. Because Peter is trying to point them to eternity. He's trying to point them to the whole reason. And that reason is Jesus. Everything we do, everything we do, should be because of and for Jesus Christ. He is our reason for living. He is our reason for serving. He is our reason for submitting. Even when we don't want to, He is our why. And if you are a believer, you know Jesus as your Savior. Understand something. After you got saved, if that's all you're here for is to get saved, then you wouldn't be here anymore. Hello? All right? You with me? So that tells me He's left you here for a reason. He's left you here for a reason, and it's not for yourself. Rather, He's left you here to serve the Lord Christ with your life, to point others to Him. You see, again, in this text, uh, yes, these individuals whom they were submitting to, many of them, no doubt, didn't know Jesus. But by their very life, by their very life, and with their lips, they could point these, in, these individuals to Christ and point them to the gospel that changed their lives, that could change theirs, theirs as, as well. Uh, look at it with me. Go back a couple of verses. Let's see here if I can find it. Um, Hmm. Yep, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, remember, conversation does not mean how you talk. It's, it's a matter of how you live. Uh, have, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in a day of visitation. He is saying, listen, here's another reason to serve and be submissive because people are watching. They shall behold. They are watching you. And they want to see how you respond, how you react to these things. They're used to people reacting by flying off the handle and getting angry and getting mad and running away, even like Onesimus did. They're used to that. But as servants, Christian, born-again believer, and you have to be a servant, be submissive. Because you're not here for yourself. You're here for a greater purpose and that is for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be all for the glory of God. The Bible still says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Listen, no doubt these Christian household servants, they didn't choose this for their very lives. They didn't map this out as the plan for their life, but this capacity in which they were serving, in which they were living, God allowed it to happen. Again, look at verse 21. For even hereunto were you called. Okay. God allowed this to happen, allowed them to be household servants. But through this service, and through their life, God could use it if they would simply submit themselves unto God. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you think, you know, I'm reading this, Brother Philip, and I hear what you're saying, and I know they're household servants, they're actual slaves, actual servants, and some of these individuals they were serving and working for, man, they were forward, they were crooked individuals, unfair. I couldn't handle that. I don't know if I could, I could do that. I can't submit as a servant. Okay. Let me give you one last point quickly this, this morning. We've seen the explanation of a servant. We've seen the extent of of it all, and we've seen that uh, uh, the servant is, is serving, not for now. Really, it's, it, we're, we're doing this in light of eternity. But this last one, we should not only grasp it, but really we should allow it to grasp us. Lastly, why should I be a submissive servant? Number four, because of our example of a servant. Look at verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Meaning, no, Jesus didn't deserve this, and maybe the treatment you're getting, you didn't deserve it either. But you're going through it, just as your Savior went through it. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself. He committed, he submitted. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned in the shepherd and bishop of your, of your souls. Understand, there is no greater example of a servant, no greater example of submission or being of a submissive servant than Jesus Christ himself. And are you greater than he? No, preacher, of course we're not. Okay, thank you. All right, just making sure. Of course we're not. Do you remember what Jesus did one day in the upper room as they were sitting about to take part in the Last Supper, as we, we call it? In John chapter 13, you have that record there. You can read it for yourself. We have the account of Jesus doing this, washing feet. And uh, it was customary of the day for the household servant to wash the feet of the guests. And not just any old servant. Not just any old household servant would do this. This was reserved, the washing of feet that is, reserved for the lowest servant in the house. Why? Because it was the worst job to have. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like feet. I just don't, you know. Keep your feet away from me, all right? And I'll keep mine away from you. Deal? Deal. Okay. I don't like feet. But I can imagine these feet. You see, they didn't have your latest uh, uh, boots and, and shoes. No, no, no. They had sandals, open-toed sandals. And uh, their form of transportation most of the time was simply walking. Did they have horses and donkeys and all that? Yeah, sure they did. But most of the time for these disciples, they didn't ride no donkeys. They didn't have no chariots. No, they walked. And uh, the roads were not exactly all, all paved and nice. No, they were quite dusty and dirty. And those same roads that they would walk, uh, the, the humans were not the only ones to travel on those roads. When a donkey 
or a camel or a horse or whatever animal they're taking down the road runs out of gas, they deposit that on the road, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. And so there's always that uh, mishap and misstep that could take place. All right. I'm painting the picture for you. Isn't it gross? You're welcome. But just imagine you're walking down the dirty, dusty roads and your feet are just filthy from all the dirt and other stuff. And your toenails, in between your toes, and that's the feet you're about to wash. So yeah, that service is reserved for the lowest slave, lowest servant in the household because it was the worst job, worst job to have. But who did it? Hmm. An example of service. The Lord Jesus Christ is none greater. You see, these men were not prepared to be that low household servant, not even to their own Savior. But yet Jesus did. Jesus laid aside his garment, took a towel and a basin of water, and began one by one to wash the feet of the disciples. And those feet would not have been easy to wash, not just because they're dirty, but because who the people are. You know, when you start to learn somebody, you form your own opinion of them. Sometimes that opinion is wrong, but sometimes it's not too far off. But when you look at these individuals and you see what they're known for, their testimony, if you will, man, it'd be hard to wash on those feet. Thomas was there. He's known as the what? Doubter. James and John were there. These guys just previously, just a moment before, arguing, who, who's going to be the greatest? Oh, man, I want to sit on the right hand and left hand of Jesus. I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Oh, I know we look at these guys as humble. At that moment, they were quite prideful. Of course, Judas was there, the betrayer. And yet Jesus washed his feet. Peter was there, the denier. Yet Jesus laid aside his garment, took up the towel in the water basin, became that household servant and served and served these men. He is the greatest servant who submitted himself to the will of God. He even knew that was his purpose. The Bible even says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, meaning he didn't come to be served, but to minister, to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. And again, in our text, uh, look at it with me in verse number 22. Who did no sin, and neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, who by whose stripes ye were healed. At this very moment, Peter knows what's, what these individuals are going through. He knows what these believers are, are, are facing. But he's trying to paint to them and point them to the Lord Jesus and give them motivation to be a servant, to be submissive unto God, to be a servant. And all they needed to do, and they found that quite difficult, is to look to Jesus and all He has done for them. So listen, when it becomes too difficult to be submissive, it becomes too difficult in your mind to serve God with your life. 
then I want you to do this. I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go to where Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary and see the agony and the suffering that he went through and endured all for you. Because when you go back and you visit the cross at Calvary, I promise you something. That flower of pride is not going to bloom very well in the shadow of the cross. It's okay to say amen right there. Look to what Jesus has done. All for you, all for me. He gave his life a ransom. He gave his life to give us life. He paid it all. Yes, all to him we owe. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. He did it for you. You see, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You and I both, all of us, don't deserve it. Like I said in the very beginning, there are two places, heaven and hell. Hell was never meant and created for us. Rather, it was created for the devil and his, his angels, his demons. That's what it was really for. But yet, because we are sinners, we deserve it. But yet God, through His love, through His grace, through His mercy, did everything possible to keep you out. And what, what must we do? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Trust the Lord as your Savior. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is great simplicity in Christ. I'm thankful for that. He just simply calls on us to repent and believe. Will you do that this morning? Maybe you're here this morning, you know Jesus as your Savior, but if truth be told, you've really been living for yourself and serving yourself instead of Jesus. But by the grace of God, let us be submissive servants to Jesus. He alone is worthy. Submit yourselves to Him. I know that in context that Peter is talking about literal household servant, being submissive. But may we apply that to our hearts and lives of us being submissive to God because He's worthy. He's our example. He's more than just that. He's our God. Submit yourself.